So over the last few weeks, we have been journeying through the, the Sermon on the Mount, kind of starting with, with the Beatitudes. And, and last Sunday, we wrapped up the section where we, we talked through the Beatitudes. And Jesus begins his message. One of the things we've been saying, he begins this, this Sermon on the Mount that is probably his most well-known teaching. He starts it with, with the benediction. So he starts the sermon with how we typically end the message. So, you know, I stand up and I say, now go out and live out what we just talked about. He starts that way. He starts with a blessing. He blesses those in need. He blesses those who help. And then he blesses those who hurt before turning to the instructions of the message, before getting to the kind of the meat of the message, if you will. There are a lot of ways to break down the sermon after the Beatitudes, but he essentially says, if you're following me, if you're the blessed people that I've just talked about in the beginning, if you're one of those people, here's how you should approach your life. So if you're, if you're blessed, if you're, if you're one of those people, and remember the people who were gathered on the, the mountain as he was, he was preaching were, were the folks that he kind of saw as the start of, of his ministry, the start of his church. And he said, so if you're in it for this journey, here's how it looks. Here's, here's how it looks. Um, so then he, he gets to this place, and, and we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, but uh, there's a lot of different ways to break down the Sermon on the Mount. How I kind of think of it is that, you know, first we're, we're called to be salt and light. That's where we're going uh, today, to reveal God's kingdom everywhere we go. Um, we're called to pay attention to Jesus' words. That's the completion of the law session. We're going to start that next week, and we'll be there for a couple weeks. Um, and when I say pay attention to, to his words, we're getting to this place in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you've heard what it's said, so he's talking about the law, but I say to you, and then he kind of expounding on, on interpreting the law. So you've heard what it's said, but I say to you. And then another way to see that is we need to pay attention to the conversations he has along the way. So the rest of, of Scripture as well. So kind of listening to his words. And then the ending of the Sermon on the Mount is, is uh, chapter 6 and 7, and it's kind of lessons in discipleship. How we act on what we claim to believe. So that's where we, we read things like uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we pray. This is how we act out our faith. Uh, it's where we, we talk through things about how we love our neighbors, how we, we, we pray for people, how we uh, use our, our resources. All of that is in Matthew 6 and 7. But today we're going to be in, in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, talking through salt and light. Um, and before we turn there, will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together to worship you in, in song, to open up your word. And God, right now we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So after he wraps up the Beatitudes, he starts, You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. It's not you ought to be. It's not you might be one day. It's not you will be if you do X, Y, and Z. He starts, you are the salt of the earth. From the, from the start of Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus believes that his followers are a part of what God is doing. From the start of his ministry. Usually when we talk about the church and our role in God's kingdom, we start with, with the Great Commission, which says what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Right? So, so we usually start at the end of Jesus' ministry when we talk about our involvement in the church, or we go to the great commandment, which is love your neighbors. Right? We go to one of those two places, but, but really, when Jesus talks about his followers being a part of what God's kingdom is doing, it starts at the beginning of his ministry. 
You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are, again, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel, but on the lampstand and gives it light into the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I, I grew up in the church and heard this salt and light metaphor quite a bit. Did any of you, like, you've heard it before? M- most of us heard this, this salt, salt and light a couple times, maybe times. So there's, there's two songs that I remember from middle school. Uh, two songs that I remember from growing up in the church, and one was maybe a, a little bit younger. Um, I'd go to, go to family camp every year. I'd go to summer camp, and they sing this awful, awful song, absolutely awful song. Theologically, it's terrible. The song itself was terrible. Um, if I had a little white box, I'd put my Jesus in. Do any of you know that song? So if I had a little white box, I'd put my Jesus in. I'd take him out and kiss his face and put him back again. If I had a little black box, I'd put the devil in. And this I'm a 10-year-old boy, I love this. I'd pull him out and punch his face and put him back again. Again, I told you, it's t- terrible. Ter- I re- but I remember it. But I remember it. The other song that I remember, um, I was getting ready this morning, and, and I said, hey, Haley, we're talking about salt and light. Haley's my wife. Um, and, and she says, oh, you remember that song that we used to sing at Sunhouse? That was the name of our JYF program. She said, you remember that song that we used to sing at Sun- Sunhouse? And I said, what song? She said, you are salt. And then we started singing the song together. You are salt. And it's a repeat part. You are salt. You are salt. You are light. You are light. A beacon shining out and shining out in the night. You are hands. It was just, it stuck in my head for whatever reason. The salt and light metaphor has been used in the church for a very, very long time. And uh, we're going to get into this in a moment, but it's because it was a saying that was common in the first century. It was, it was a saying that was, was common, um, and, and Jesus kind of picked up, as he often did, on, on, on common idioms, and he gave them a new meaning. And so the salt and light, we're going to unpack it a, a little bit today. Um, but how I kind of understand that, that we're called to be salt and we're called to be light is, is, is summarized in another way um, when Paul writes to the, the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. So, so it, really, we can hear Jesus' call to be salt and light in Paul's words to the early church. It's the invitation to follow Jesus and the invitation to invite others along in the journey. So Bob Goff, who's a, a law professor at, at Pepperdine and who has done ministry for years and years and years with, with Young Life, um, he has a couple books out, um, one called Love Does, that I would highly, highly recommend. Um, but, but he wrote this recently. He, he said that our problem following Jesus is we're trying to be a better version of us rather than a more accurate reflection of him. The, the problem in, in, in today's world with following Jesus is we're trying to be a better version of us, ourselves, rather than a more accurate version of him. Being salt and being light isn't about becoming a better person. I don't want you to miss what I'm saying here. It might be a byproduct of following Jesus as we become better people, but the goal is not a self-help 
self-help kind of another method of okay, this this we're gonna we're doing this so we can become better people. The end goal is that and that everything is thrown our way, from work to family to school to relationships to politics, to the important decisions we make, and to the kind of mundane tasks that we do throughout the day. Everything we do, we approach it all with the mindset of, how am I reflecting Jesus in this situation? That's what it means to be salt and light. How am I reflecting Jesus in in, in my life, in all of the different relationships that I have? And all that we do and say, we're called to bring this, this certain type of flavor, um, that's the, the saltiness, the certain type of joy into our communities. It should be exciting. It should be, that's why the song that I sang in middle school, you were salt. we all got up and did the silly dance and said, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good thing. You know, that's a good thing. Um, so Jesus has taken a, a popular image, as I just said, of his day, and he's, he's giving it a, a new meaning. So he's saying, look, you are blessed. That's the first part of the message. Right? You are blessed. The Beatitudes. You are blessed. Accept it. And now, go and bless other people. Now, there's a pattern that he's following here that the, that, that follows Scripture, follows the Hebrew text, actually. So whenever um, Yahweh blesses his people, whenever Yahweh blesses his people, Yahweh does something to um, remind them of who they are. So, so in the Moses story, right? Moses leads Israel across the Red Sea showing the people that they are loved, reminding them of their identity, reminding them that they are God's chosen people, and then they receive the commands, right? They receive the commands second. He doesn't go to them when they're in captivity and say, here's what you need to do. He frees them, shows them that they're loved, reminds them of who they are, and then gives the commands. Jesus gives his blessing and then the instructions. So blessing and then here's how you live. So in, in, in biblical ethics, this is a, a sequence that, that's constantly found. It's a sequence where, where blessing comes before command, where assurance comes before, before challenge, where love comes before instruction. Uh, in Jesus' day, the, the Romans had this saying that was very close to what Jesus said here. That you, you might be walking by the street and you, you'll see somebody and they'll say something to the tune of, there's nothing more useful than salt and sun. Like Jesus didn't come up with this. Romans would say there's nothing more useful than than salt and and and, and sun. And, and salt had three main functions. John kind of mentioned some of them at the start of the service. What, what were the three main functions that you can think of? One's really simple: seasoning, seasoning to taste food, to preserve food, to keep things pure. Which is kind of like preservation. I guess that's really really two things: seasoning and, and to keep things um, pure to add flavor. And whenever I talk about this passage, I can't help uh, but talk about a time in my life when I had to completely avoid salt. Um, I know some of you raised your hands when John asked how many of you are avoiding salt. Um, I, I, some of you know I was diagnosed with a disease about 15 years ago called Meniere's disease. And when I was first diagnosed, I was told that one of the ways to, to limit some of the symptoms was to avoid salt. And so I was 23 years old and I was thinking, huh, I, I, I can't. I, I can't have salt. Okay, this is going to be interesting. So I did things like I, I made ketchup from scratch at home. It tastes nothing like ketchup without what? Without salt. W- without salt. Um, people would come to our house for dinner, and they'd be like, "This, what, what are you serving us? What are you, what are you, what are you putting in front of us? We'd, we'd go out to, to dinner, and I would have to call the restaurant ahead of time to make sure that they actually made their food from scratch and that they didn't have 
food that was, was processed. And then a, a few years ago, after not having kind of the extreme, the extreme um, symptoms of, of this disease, Haley started sneaking pinches of salt into our food. And it was like all of a sudden my palate woke up. It's like, whoa, that's, that's what a steak can taste like. Whoa, that's what salted, this is silly, that's what salted noodles taste like. Like, like all of a sudden my, my palate just, just kind of woke up. Salt adds flavor, but it's useless if it stays left on the counter, right, if we don't use it. Salt adds flavor, but it's useless if we leave it left on the counter. So when it's applied to food properly, the, the food is enriched, right? The, the goal of salt is, is to make the, the flavor, the natural flavor in the food come to the top, to, to, to come out. Now, what happens when you add too much salt? What happens? What do you taste? The food? You taste the salt. You, you, you taste the salt. And, and everything, the natural flavor of the food is... is uh, completely ruined, or for, for some of us, that's when it just starts getting good because we really like salty, <laughs> salty stuff. So in the first century, salt's chief value wasn't necessarily in the flavor, but it was, it was more so in, in keeping your family's food from going bad. So, so Jesus is saying, look, in the same way that, that meat spoils without salt, our, our communities sour when we forget our identity. Our community is sour when we forget our identity. And, and then he says something that, uh, we, we, can, we can just read over quickly, and, and I don't think we should. If salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Or, as Eugene Peterson translates harshly, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Um, thanks, Eugene. <laughs> Our motives matter whether we're enhancing the flavor of our food or trying to make an impact on our communities. So for some of us, the challenge here is, is to stay salty, to stay, to stay salty. Any of you know the surf brand Salty Crew? I was going to say maybe, maybe, maybe Jack does. Um, whenever I see that hat, it's, it's, it's a, a pretty common surf brand. I, I think, oh, yeah, I've got to stay salty. It's, it's a, you'll see it in, in Beach World quite a bit, Sal, salty crew. Um, so for some of us, the challenge is, is to stay salty, to keep reflecting Christ in all of the different places that we, we end up. And for others, the challenge is to think of the places where we've, we've kind of gone bland, where we've, we've lost our, our saltiness for, for whatever the reason might be. And if that's us, so much of that has to do with rediscovering our identity, remembering what it's like to reflect Christ. So then Jesus moves from salt to what? It's up there. Yeah, light. Salt, 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 salt to light. Moves from salt to light. Um, Tim, what's the function of light? Well, there's a lot of functions. What's the main function of light, Tim? We get out of it. We get to see what's going on around us. We need to have our vision. Yeah, it's, it's so we can see. So Tim works in, in lighting, so I can pick on, on Tim for, for, for lighting. But the, the point... The point of light is never to, to draw, well, I shouldn't say never, get myself in trouble. The point of light is to illuminate something, not to draw attention to itself unless it's something like that. I mean, unless it's something like that, unless it's a light show, um, unless it's a light show of some sort. But, but typically, the, the point of light is, is, to, is, is to make things visible. So when I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear Thomas crying and I go to his room and it's dark and there's Legos all over the floor. 
right? Like, it, it hurts to step on those things. Like, little, oh, it hurts. Um, so the point of light is, isn't necessarily to point to itself, but to point to something else so we can see where we're going. And how I kind of read this when Jesus talks about it is that we don't do good works simply to kind of puff ourselves up, to shine a light on ourselves, to say, look at me, look at how great of a Christian I am. That's, that's not, not the point of, of being light. The, the point is, is quite honestly to remember that it's, it's not about us. We're called to reflect Christ. We're, we're called to reflect Christ. Jesus starts by, by pointing to Jerusalem the city on the hill that was supposed to be a beacon of light for all people. So he kind of starts in the macro, right? That's supposed to be this, the city on the hill for light for all people. And then he brings it to the micro, to the home, right? The, the lampstand in, in, in the house. Uh, in one breath, he, he says that we're called to bring flavor. We're called, we're called to be salty. And in the next breath, we're, we're supposed to radiate joy. We're supposed to radiate joy. So his first followers, they're called to be the, the, the kind of the torchbearers of, of the world, and, and, and we're called to do that today as well. When God gave his, his, his purpose um, to Israel, or gave Israel their purpose, their, their purpose was what? To bless all nations. Their, their purpose was to, to, to be uh, good neighbors, to help their nation, the other nations, find the way. But before long, they got involved in the popular struggles of their day, they got involved with their neighbors and, and um, not necessarily thinking we're going we're gonna to shine light for them. Um, and, and, and they got involved in all the struggles. And instead of listening to what was going on in the world, they, they started to argue. As, as culture pushed, they, they pushed back. And more often than not, it, it didn't end well. They lost their purpose. Or as I would say, quoting Jesus, they, they lost their saltiness. They lost their saltiness. One of my fears for the church today is that sometimes we've done the same thing. We've, we've, we've lost our, our, our saltiness. We look at what's going on around us. We look at the world around us uh, and the reality that, that fewer and fewer and fewer people are coming to church on Sunday mornings. And, and we get combative and we get defensive. I had this conversation with my dad yesterday. My parents are up visiting. Um, we, we complain about the direction of our country. We complain about the direction of our culture without recognizing that we are part of our country and we are a part of our culture and that we're supposed to do something in our country and something in our, our culture. And, and we forget to be salt and light. We forget that we are called to reflect Christ in all the different areas that we've talked about. A couple of years ago, um, I was riding in a car with a friend, uh, a friend and another friend of his who I hadn't met. We were on our way to, sorry, USC fans, to a UCLA football game. Um, and we're on our, on our way to a, a UCLA football game, and uh, we sat in traffic as, as we're driving along, and um, my friend John says to his other friend, oh, Dave's a pastor, just kind of casually. And uh, Kathy Howell told the story earlier of, of when Bob Boss showed up at their house for a house party, and Kathy introduced him as the pastor, and the party just got quiet. <laughs> and that was kind of how it was in, in this car. It was like, oh, Dave's a pastor, and it was, language changed. Everything we talked about changed. It was, it was this really interesting thing. Um, and the friend turned to me, and he started listing all of the churches that he used to be a part of, all of the churches that he, he used to belong to. And he said something like, I'm just I'm tired of going to churches that kind of slam their interpretation of one thing or another down my throat, and they don't leave room for conversation. 
I'm tired of going to those kinds of churches. He went on to list a bunch of ways that the church is broken, a bunch of ways that the church is full of hypocrites. Um, and, and, and when you picture this guy, you might think that, you know, he, he's my age, you know, maybe an angry millennial or an ang- angry Gen X um, guy. But uh, the, the reality was <laughs> this guy was in his late 60s. This guy was in his late 60s. He had led or he had read all of my favorite theologians. He had read Karl Barth. He had read Bonhoeffer. He, he, he had read N.T. Wright. He was committed to his church for a long time, and then he just got burnt out and said, hey, we are not, the church today isn't doing what Jesus has asked us to do. Why? And I was supposed to have all the answers. It's fun being a pastor sometimes. I was supposed to have all the answers for him of, of why the church wasn't what, what he thought Scripture said it should be. And it made me think of, of Paul again in, in 1 Corinthians, where, where Paul lists all of the different types of things, gifts that are connected of, of people in the church. And then he says, but if you don't have love, you're nothing more than instruments making loud noises. You're nothing more than, than kind of that blowhorn that's, that's standing on the corner making a loud noise. A few years ago, I was in a, a small group with a bunch of men that ranged in age from 20 to to 80, and um, one of the members of the small group, we were talking about this passage, and he was a retired NASA engineer. Um, and Tim, I'm going to come back to you in a minute. Um, you're going to be on today, Tim. He's a retired, a retired NASA engineer, and we're talking about being light in the world, and he, and he says, well, Pastor Dave, um, we're called to be light, but how much noise does light make? Do you have an answer for that, Tim? As, as we hear, unless, unless there's something wrong with the electricity, right? Unless there's the hum. And, and what he said has kind of stuck with me. It's kind of haunted me a little bit. Is, is how much noise does light really make? Light isn't, when it's right, doesn't make much noise. But we can't deny its impact. So much, I think, of, of being light in today's world has to do with how we listen. And how we respond to what we what we see and what we we experience in the world. Um, I think in First Samuel three, we read uh, a, a pretty good lesson on on how to be good listeners. Samuel he essentially grew up in the synagogue, kind of grew up in the church. He was a church kid, and as he got older, the people of Israel they weren't really listening to what God was saying. They weren't paying attention to what God was saying, and and a number of those. Who, who remained faithful was dwindling, and Samuel lived with a, a, a rabbi named Eli, and uh, he he is, is sleeping near the synagogue, uh, part of the synagogue, and, and he hears a voice. He hears a voice, and Eli responds. He, he goes, runs over to, to um, Samuel, runs over to Eli, and he says, uh, Eli responds, I didn't, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. Same thing I say to my kids when they call me every night. I, I didn't call you. Go, go, go back to sleep. It happens again, and Eli responds the same way. By the third time it happens, Eli's kind of thinking, huh, something, something's going on here. We, we should be paying attention. And he tells Samuel to go and lie down. And he says, and, and if you hear the call again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God speaks again. Samuel responds. And Samuel becomes a prophetic voice for a generation that had nearly forgotten about God altogether. 
He brings salt and light, flavor and joy to a world that, that desperately needed it. And we are tasked with doing the same thing. So as Jesus transitions from giving blessings to his followers to, to kind of laying out the, trans, the, the instructions on how to live, we, we, we see this challenge that we are, are salt, that we, we are light. And my, my question for us, and remember these, these sets of questions, I, I, I kind of propose to us to take an inventory on ourselves, not, not to go around and to say, hey, Tim, how'd you do with that? It's, it's really for our own kind of Self, self-reflection. So first question is, are, are we listening to God consistently? Remember, light doesn't necessarily make noise. And it's really hard to make noise and to listen at the same time. On, on Wednesday, we're launching into uh, the season of Lent. We'll have an Ash Wednesday service here. And if you're not playing softball, you should come and come, and come to our Ash Wednesday service. Um, but Lent is a great time to kind of spend some time in intentional listening. And I'd encourage you to do that. Secondly, what and who are we reflecting to other people? Do we reflect Jesus in all of those different spaces that we find ourselves? And are we adding flavor or joy to our world consistently? Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would help us to reclaim our identity as salt and light in this world. Help us to remember that that we are blessed to bless others. We pray these things in your name. Amen.